Well, good morning. Great to see you this morning. If you're joining us either here live or online, we appreciate the fact that you're with us. And glad to have the chance to speak this morning. I actually have been, <laughs> I've been having some dreams lately, and I had a weird one uh, a few weeks ago that I was coming up here to speak in my dream, and I got up here and I couldn't talk. I, I, not, I mean, not a word would come out, and I'm trying my best, and nothing will happen. And so I'm just up here staring at you guys. So it was really awkward and uh, frustrating. I'm so glad to wake up and realize, oh, just a dream. Well, and I know some of you are hoping that dream comes true, but, uh, um, but things seem to be working sort of normally right now, so we'll continue. We're going to finish our series out this morning, We Are the Church. We've been talking about what it is that makes a church what it's supposed to be, and it's been all great stuff. You know, we talked the first week about standing for truth, holding the truth, no matter what our culture says and does around us. The church, our church, thankfully, hasn't wavered. We've had the same message from the beginning, and we're just trying to stay faithful to God's Word. And then two weeks ago, Kevin talked about the gospel the good news of salvation offered to us as a free gift. Real churches hold to the gospel with no variances in it. It's so vital that we get it right and we keep it that way. The gospel that is not only good for the unsaved to hear, but also so essential for believers to stay focused on. You know, it can't be that we walk out after we've just heard a, a, a gospel message and we're going, well, hey, I've, I, I, you know, we're just hey, I didn't hear anything new today, nothing, no big deal. No, the gospel is what vitalizes us, strengthens us. And so that truth of God's free offer of salvation is so key for us to be able to live out our lives as, as believers. Then last week, Luke talked about life change. Our church looks for change, for transformation. Transformation that's described for us in one of my favorite passages, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. That's where we're going to be today. And it talks about a transformation that brings a specific change in one area of our lives that we want to focus on, and that's the area of sharing our faith. So if you think about our purpose statement, just, just mentioned it, we want to help people discover truth, decide on Jesus, demonstrate change, and deploy for others. So what we're talking about today is that deploying for others portion of that purpose statement. And we start in verse 16 that says, Therefore, from now on we recognize no one by the flesh, even though we have known Christ by the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. You notice some things right here. He starts with, therefore, and if you go back to the previous verses, the Apostle Paul's been making the point that we are controlled by the love of Christ, that he lived and died for us. He rose again so that we can live for him. And because of that great truth, because we can live for him, controlled by his love, he now says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. And what's that about? Well, that sounds a little strange to us. We don't recognize someone according to the flesh. What's he saying there? Well, he's talking about the fact that we don't look at people the way people naturally tend to look at people. 
Okay? We, we, when we view people, we view them in a new way. We've got a new perspective. And why? Why would we not look at others the way people naturally look that way? Well, think about it. How do people typically look at others? Well, usually we're making determinations based on things like appearance, social status, abilities, money, possessions, position. Sometimes we make determinations based on personality. You know, we see somebody and they're happy or they're worried or they're angry or they're outgoing or they're an introvert. We're making decisions and determinations based on that. Or sometimes we look at others according to the way they treat us. You know, if they're nice to us, then they're good in our eyes. If they're not so nice to us, they're not so good in our eyes. What Scripture is telling us here is all those ways or any other ways we could think of that we might have of normally looking at people they aren't our standard any longer. Because whether or not we're going to reach people who don't know Christ, it all starts right here. This is the basis. See, we're typically not going to share our faith with people if we're viewing them in the old natural way. Because if we're stuck there and we're viewing them based on surface issues, we're only going to deal with them on surface issues. If the cashier at the grocery store is just a person to hand our money to, that's about all we'll ever interact with them about. But if we're viewing them differently, if we're viewing them with a new perspective, we'll move from relating to them about temporal things to relating about eternal things. So we want to look at people differently. And what determines our perspective of them is just one factor. We want to know whether or not they know Jesus. If they don't, we know they have one huge need in their lives. They have a huge hole that needs to be filled, and we want to help them with that. And if they do know him, well, we know they're in Christ and they have a new identity and and things are good. and And we view everything and everyone from one of these two situations, knowing him or not knowing him. And that's all that matters. That's why it doesn't matter how they treat us. It doesn't matter what their personality's like. It doesn't matter what they have. Nothing matters except whether they know him. And so we're looking at them with an eternal perspective, and he's planted that perspective in us in order for us to reach others. Verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ. That's a phrase that Paul uses like 25 times in his writings in the New Testament. In Christ, it's talking about that unique bond that Christians have with Jesus that's so personal so personal that it's described as being in him. If anyone, and that little word if is important, isn't it? Because it's not talking about everyone. It's not since we're all in, in, in Jesus. No, that's not the case. Because we're not all in Christ, there's, there's a, a need going on. See, life-changing eternity hanging the balance with that one little word. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. 
He has this new life. They're new creations. The old is gone. The old is gone. The, the Greek verb tense there would tell us that that happened in a moment of time. The old is gone. It's done. That moment of time when, when we came to Christ. See, salvation happens in a moment. I, I know it's sort of sort of a thing now for people to talk about salvation being a process. There's a process, can be a process for God bringing us to that moment. And he can use people and situations and all kinds of things to bring us to him. But it comes down to a moment. There still has to be a moment where I turn to God and ask for forgiveness, where I turn to him and, and, and initially place my faith in him. There has to come a moment. That's the moment he's talking about here. The moment when the old was gone. All of the old me, the old values, the ideas, the plans, the desires, the beliefs, most importantly, all of the guilt and the shame of our sin vanished, washed away by his blood. At that moment, when we came to him, our souls were decontaminated. Great news. And even better, he says, here, behold. It sounds a little formal, but that's actually, this is actually Paul getting excited. He's like, look, the new has come. In that moment, when I turned to him by faith, old, the old was gone. Moment in time, the new has come. And he changes the verb tense here to this happened in a moment in time, the new came, but then it continues to have impact on my life. It's, it's a continual thing. And so what happened was this. The newness came at a point in time, but it continues to have a lasting effect on my life. So when we became new when he saved us, but here's the deal, we're still new. It's amazing, we don't become less new as time goes by. We always and forever will be new. So it doesn't matter if you came to Christ yesterday or you came, became a believer 50 years ago, you're still new. God's been so good to us. And because we're new, we have this new perspective. We see people differently. You say, well, how else? What else is new about us? Well, as we get a little further in the passage here, not only do we see we have a new perspective, we also have a new purpose. Verse 18 says, now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now all these things, he says, are from God. This is so great, good. All this newness that I've got, it's from God, right? We recognize that he changed us. This isn't from me. This isn't something that we've done. He reconciled us to himself. He reconciled. That word reconciliation is actually was used uh, in, in marriage records. 
of, of couples that had been separated and then were brought back together. They were reconciled. And so what we are told here is that we've been sep- we were separated from God, but he has brought us to himself. He chose to rescue us and bring us into relationship with him. But that's not the end. See, once he made us new, he went on to give us, as we're told here, the ministry of reconciliation. Great opportunity here. The ministry of reconciliation. That's talking about the fact that we've been given this new purpose. This is our purpose. The purpose of bringing a message to people who don't know Christ. So that what was done to us, being reconciled to God, we get to have a hand in for other people. We get to pass on this message that God desires to have a relationship with them. That's our new purpose. That's what we've been given to do. That's what we're all about. That's what we were designed for. And it's pretty exciting. We've been given a message, uh, but not just any message. This is a message that's grounded in truth, which is so important. It's a message which, as we see it, it maintains the supremacy of God. Notice we, we are reconciled to God. It's not reciprocal. Because God doesn't need to be reconciled to us. We need to be reconciled to him. Because he's sovereign. He's supreme. He's transcendent. He's holy. And the truth of who he is is carried through in the message that we've been given to share with others. It's also a message which centers on Christ. Verse 19 tells us God was in Christ, reconciling the world to to himself. At Christ's expense, we were reconciled. So this reconciling only happens because of him. There's no other option. And because of Christ, the sins of those who turn to him aren't counted against them. Such great news that God would be willing to wipe out our sin and then even beyond that, that he would commit to us the word of reconciliation. He committed it to us. Literally, it means he placed in us. Placed in us. It became a part of us. If if you're a believer and you're not feeling fulfilled and you don't have a lot of joy in your life, maybe that's because you're not doing the very thing that you were designed to do. You ever use a tool for something it wasn't designed for? You know, you grab a wrench and you try to knock in that nail with a wrench. (laughs) Doesn't work too good, right? Am I the only one that's never tried to do things like that? You know, a tool is effective when you use it for what it was designed to do. That's what, and what we were all designed to do is to somehow, in some way, share this message of reconciliation with others. It brings joy, it brings fulfillment. Do you remember the stories Jesus told about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son? Remember what happened when they found each of those? There was joy celebration. There's nothing that brings more joy and fulfillment to a believer than to have a hand in seeing someone else come to Christ. There's nothing like it. It's intrinsic to what we are now that we know him. It's who I am. It's who you are. 
So if the word of reconciliation is going to get out, guess how it's going to happen? Through us. We have a new perspective. We have a new purpose. We also have a new passion. Verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He starts again, therefore, logically then, since we, because we have this new purpose, because of what he did in our lives and making us new and giving us this message, we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors. Sounds, sounds pretty impressive, doesn't it? And, and it? and it is. It's a high privilege. I'd point out the word comes across in the English as a noun, ambassadors. In the Greek, it's actually a verb. So it's not just something that we are. It's something that we do. See, we represent him in this world. Back, back in biblical, biblical times, an ambassador was, their role was a lot like today, to serve as a spokesman for a king or a ruler or a country. So we are his representatives, a huge responsibility to represent him accurately and a huge, a huge privilege as though God were making an appeal through us. That's so humbling to think about. God pleading with men. See, God not only offered to us salvation, he begs us to come to him. How loving of God is that? The transcendent God would plead with us. And then the Apostle Paul himself also says, I beg you. There's an emotional appeal here. Everything in Paul is crying out for these people to turn to God. See, we not only have a new purpose, because, but that purpose is driven by a passion for those who don't know him. Someone said that the epitaph of our society should be this. This civilization died because it didn't want to be bothered. And I know we've all heard tragic stories of apathy in our culture. It hits the news sometimes, like the, uh, the mailman that was shot in New York stumbled into a hotel lobby bleeding and because he's getting blood on the carpet, they set him back outside and he died on the sidewalk. Or the lady in Dayton 
who lost control of her car and went into the river. And a dozen people stood and watched as she climbed on the roof of her car, crying out she didn't know how to swim, and she drowned. Apathy. Apathy that has affected our culture so much so that the Chicago Sun-Times has a file in its library. It's just a file full of stories like that. They call, it's just, the file's apathy. We live in a world filled with people who don't want to be bothered. My question to us as God's people this morning is regarding the lost people around us. Do we just not want to be bothered? We know there's apathy in the world, but has that apathy infected us? Do we have a passion for the lost, or have we lost our passion? This is where our heart should be. This is what we should be passionate about, to see people reconciled to God. He made a way, the only way, through his son, when he made him who, verse 21 tells us, knew no sin. He had no personal knowledge of sin. He was sinless, so much so that even unbelievers recognized it. Remember Pilate? He repeatedly affirmed Jesus' innocence. I find no guilt in this man. And then the thief on the cross that hung next to Jesus, who said, this man has done nothing wrong. And even the Roman centurion in charge of the execution said, certainly this man was innocent. But what those individuals may not have caught was it wasn't just the specifics for which they were crucifying him. He was innocent in all things, absolutely sinless, absolutely holy, but still willing to die in our place to be sin. What does that mean, that he would be sin? Well, it doesn't mean he became a sinner on the cross, as some falsely teach today. He didn't become a sinner. He was a perfect sacrifice. But the guilt of our sin, the burden of our sin, the, the horror of our sin, the penalty of our sin was such that it impacted him in such a way that it, he, Paul describes it as becoming sin for us. And then listen, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that we could share in the righteousness of God himself, what's called imputation, his righteousness imputed to us the day he saved us and he made us clean. He decontaminated us completely and he declared us righteous. That's how we're new. That's what we should be watching for in our lives to make sure we reflect the love and the message that is intended now to reflect. We've been changed, and we've been given the opportunity to be a part of the process of change in the lives of others. It's an exciting way to live life for us as individuals and for us as a church. Every once in a while, we'll have someone move away from the area, and they'll ask us before they moved to try to find a church in the area they're moving to where that would be like grace which isn't always easy. And if that's ever you, I hope, you hope you never move away, but if you ever do, don't go looking for style, first of all. That should be down the list somewhere. 
Look for a church that is committed to truth and presents the gospel. Look for a church where lives are being changed and they're passionate about reaching those who don't know Jesus. As a church, we want to do our best to design everything we do to try and have an impact on those who don't know him. The services we have, the events we do, the ministry we do, all of it's intended to reach those who are lost. Because churches that don't have that as their core will die. Churches that have a passion for other things like having fellowship with each other. Nothing wrong with having fellowship with each other. It's good. And they have good fellowship. So they get together a lot. And they have a good time. But they don't see anybody coming to Christ. Churches that are all passionate about their building is their priority. You ever been around a church like that? Oh, my. They're passionate about their building. And they, 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 they want to make sure that whatever's going on in their building is they have to make sure that no damage is done to their building. I've been around churches like that. But they, they, they exist out there. We love our building. God's blessed us. But a building can't be what we're passionate about. There are churches that are all consumed with their bank account and what they've got in the bottom line, making sure that it stays at a certain amount in their mind. They are all consumed with that money thing. Whatever their passion, if it isn't for reaching the lost, those churches will eventually die. We don't want to be that church. We want to be a church with a new passion for the lost. That's why we do what we do. And that's what the coming weeks are all about, too. Our Christmas series starts next week. I'm excited about this series, Wreck the Halls, okay? And and it's really about things that people rely on for being good with God. Jesus wrecks religion. He wrecks ourselves. And he wrecks our culture. And, and what excites me about that is every one of those weeks, I think, can have an impact on people coming to Christ. And so it's a great opportunity. As part of your role, being a, an individual who, who, who's been made new and has a new purpose and has a, a, a new passion, one of the things I want to encourage you to do in these coming weeks is to be praying and to be inviting. Invite people you know. Why? Because they're going to hear the gospel. And we're putting everything we can into it. We've got a mailer going out for the week of Christmas. Those services, you know, five services, I guess, caught by now. So we're going to be doing, hopefully you'll, you'll be inviting people to come be a part of that. We're not doing that just to get some big numbers in here. We're doing that because we want to be a church that has a passion to reach the lost. It all starts having a new perspective. 
seeing people through the eyes of eternity, recognizing our new purpose, our responsibility, and our privilege to represent Him in this world, and driven by a new passion to see the eternal destiny changed and sin forgiven of individuals. God's been so good to us, hasn't He? He's blessed us. He's changed our lives. He's given us this opportunity. And in these coming weeks, we want to be, take the chance to let others come to know Him as well. Great opportunity. Use it as part of your own personal desire to see people come to Christ. And let me say, if you've never taken that step yourself, but you'd like to talk to someone about it, as soon as the service is dismissed, there will be pastors back here in this room to my left, room one, what we call it. We'd love to talk with you about how you can know him, what the difference he can make in your life, and know that your sins are forgiven. But boy, God is so good. He's been so good to us, even in 2020, right? God's been good to us. And he's given us a message that we can't wait for other people to hear. So let's do it this, these coming weeks. Let's make sure they hear. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us, your goodness to us, the way you've blessed us, for giving us this new life, and changing us for all eternity. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.